You're listening to 1001 Album Club, where each episode we discuss a different album from Robert Demery's book, 1001 Albums You Must Hear Before You Die. episode we'll be talking about elvis presley's album elvis is back in the room i have rob Hi. ben Hi. and john hey elvis is back is the 10th studio album by american singer and musician elvis presley it was released april 8th of 1960 on rca victor records produced by steve shoals and chet atkins the genre is rhythm and blues uh, pop rock and blues after being inducted into the army of march of 1958 when the young singer's fame was soaring the RCA label would have to hold fans over with unreleased material uh, pre-recorded and prepared for the two-year absence of the singer, including the Elvis Golden Records and 50 million Elvis fans can't be wrong during his service. His friend, Charlie Hodge, taught Presley techniques to improve his breathing and expand his range. By the end of his time in Germany, Presley had added a full octave to his vocal range. Elvis is Back represented a new sound for Presley. It moved him further toward pop music a direction he continued to take over much of the decade with a more sophisticated vocal quality and push him from a teen idol into a legendary entertainer. What did we think of Elvis is Back? He's back, baby! I'm wondering why this Elvis record. And then I read about it, and now I I get why this Elvis record, because it's his like, comeback from the army and added a vocal uh, octave to his range or whatever. Yeah. But... Not knowing that and just listening to it out of context, without like the historical context, just put it on, drop the needle. It's fine. Elvis is good. His band is good. The production's good. The, my ears like it. But of a guy that re- was so prolific, why this one, ears-wise? There's no hits on it. And uh, and this is a guy that had a few dozen hits. They, they picked the Elvis record with none of them. And I was reading, like, during these sessions uh, was when he recorded It's Now or Never. Mm-hmm. Big hit. Why didn't they put it on the record? You know, like, so I was like, oh, maybe maybe it sold really well. Maybe everyone ran out and bought this one. Uh, I read, this album went gold in 1999. Right, not Go- till later. Gold is 100,000 records. That's 2,500 records a year. Over 40 years. That's not... Flying off the shelves. Right. Harry Belafonte's Calypso was the first record ever to sell a million copies. And it's nowhere on this list. (laughs) Yet, an album that took 40 fucking years (laughs) to move 100,000 copies. And and he just said the album right before this. 50 million Elvis fans can't be wrong. Oh, really? 
Well, apparently 49,900,000 of them are wrong for 40 years. Like, what the fuck, dude? I, I agree. I, fu- I thought it was an odd choice to put this album, but having the background and having the... Uh, it has a certain chemistry to it that is, ple- you're right, pleasing. But I don't know if it's the, the Elvis album to put on. Right. I will say that the recording quality... It sounds great. Sounds amazing. And the, and the Nashville players um, on the album were, high, you know, like the A team. You know, these guys are great. They know what they're doing. Elvis has a gr- great voice. And maybe that it just, it's on here because it showcases his voice. I honestly thought that uh, some of his vocal tracks were kind of limp. Uh, I think the production is great and crisp, but unlike uh, the first album that we heard of Elvis's, Obviously, you know, where he's coming out of the gate with a lot of vim and vigor. And, you know, some of the songs here may be slower than that we heard on the first album that we had of his. But I just didn't really get drawn away by him in any of these. Unlike It's Now or Never, where he's actually got some good sweeping vocals. There's nothing in here that's really all that interesting. Didn't make the cut. Didn't make the cut. Did not make the cut. Surprise. at the same time. It's Now or Never. Not that one. Is actually O Solo Mio. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't know that. It's a great song. We could have talked about it a lot more, but it wasn't on this album. <laughs> I just threw out the Love of My Dreams didn't make the Blue Album, guys. Yeah, the Blue Album is stocked, is airtight. That is a stacked record. They made, there's not, a, there just wasn't enough room on the wax to fit a 13th great song. This record has plenty of room. <laughs> plenty of room for It's Now or Never. Speaking of, can we talk about Dirty Dirty Feeling? Yeah. Let's, let's talk about Dirty Dirty Feeling. What is going on that in that song? That song gives me a Dirty Dirty Feeling. <laughs> it, my, my, my 2018 ears just hear red flags. <laughs> <laughs> Danger! <laughs> it's true. Uh, I also had that definitely um, girl, or, uh, girl of My Best Friend is uh, definitely like that Beatles era kind of style. I mean, it has this very much... Almost doo-wop sound, and it, it fits right in with that. I don't think I, I don't think I the lyrics this sank in when I was listening to it. Girl of my dreams, or uh, the girl dirty, of dirty my feeling? best friend. Oh, my best friends. Yeah, dirty dirty feeling is is definitely on a interesting I wrote level. I wrote down a select lyric that uh, sure. Uh, it's actually it's like a whole phrase. It says you're pretty good at running, but pretty soon you'll slip and fall. Gonna drag you home with me, girl. Gonna chain you to the wall. And then the dude with the low do-up voice goes, yeah. Because, <laughs> you know, you need help. <laughs> it's, it's, it's hard work, dude. <laughs> That being said, it's like the most rocking track on the record. That was what made me first notice it was like I was like, oh, finally, rocking roll. Yeah. So that was sitting there listening to it, and I was like, oh no, that is not okay. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I know you know it's been 
65 yeah, years. Yeah. It wasn't made. It wasn't meant literally. You know, uh, times were different. He's he's saying something. That and it's it's Lieber and Stoller that wrote it, but still, uh, it, it didn't age well. Yeah. Yeah, I, I bet his twelve-year-old uh, girlfriend probably. Uh, <laughs> I bet she was a pretty good, like, you know, middle school runner. <laughs> you know. <laughs> oh fucking Elvis! <laughs> yeah, I, I honestly, I I get everything that has been said thus far but like you know as far as like a record that i sat down with and listened to i was like this is fine it's yeah fine. there's I, nothing I, bad about I, it i i actively enjoyed listening to this record mm-hmm. is it the best of elvis no would I you mean, listen to it again it beats the shit out of that fucking first elvis record i think the production production does. wise holy yeah crap. yeah like this one at least has like a flavor that is consistent it's true this uh, is not a piece together elvis record Mm-hmm. Um, doesn't have like you were saying it doesn't have the hits, but maybe it has a little more consistency in the in the in the playing and the songwriting and all, all of that. I was trying to think of how many uh, like if you were to have a ranking system, which was like nineteen sixties based, like copying a feel over a sweater. Like <laughs> how many songs how many feels to? copped over a sweater does this record get? <laughs> because the fucking ballads just like oh god yeah, there's just some really gross. Teenage kissing. I was going <laughs> to say. Awkward sexual liaisons. It, it, it does kind of move like Elvis into, like I was saying, a more mature, but Ooh. also a little, yeah, a little dirtier yeah. in a certain way. A little, uh. uh You're saying it's a makeout record? Raw. Um, I, the, the, Swanky. Some of the ballads, absolutely, yes. Yeah. yeah. Definitely on Reconsider Baby, the last track, the. The like sax is like it's got that <laughs> dirty, dirty sax. Who, who that is? That's Boots Randolph. Nice. Yaggedy sax, the Benny Hill theme. <laughs> that's him. <laughs> <laughs> um, he got only the best for this album. Obviously. Yeah. I mean, I appreciate that, See, but I just, I just don't think that it, it, it doesn't grip me like the first one does. That's just me. Right. I like it raw. <laughs> Art subjective. I uh. Interesting anecdote I read when I was reading about this record. The copy of this record that's at Graceland was is so worn down from repeated listens that they say like there's like barely any barely any of it left. Uh, like Elvis's personal copy of this, and so I guess you know what year did I seventy five? So you had a good fifteen years of listening to it. But that made me think like I've been in plenty of bands. Who listens to their own records all the time? I'm proud of a, a lot of the work that I've been able to be a part of. I don't think that I've listened to any record that I've been on more than like five times. And normally that's like with my parents. You know, like, hey, listen to me play some drums. Interesting. <laughs> you know? Huh. Do you listen to state records like all the time? You're wearing them out? Nope. <laughs> I guess I'm a narcissist. Fucking <laughs> 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 dig my tunes. <laughs>
So he said he... When he was in the army, he added an octave to his range, but didn't say to what end of his range. I think you can sing, like, an octave lower now. <laughs> <laughs> Elvis a doom metal. Full octave. <laughs> Uh, or maybe it, it was it like said his breathing helped him with his breathing. Um, I could see that. Yes, though. If you could sing, if you came out of the army and you could sing a half octave higher and also a half octave lower, that would technically be, be adding a, an octave a to your full range. Full octave, yeah, yeah, it's true. So it didn't need to be all no. up or all down. No, he just maybe just grew from the middle. <laughs> Sounds great. Oh yeah, I mean that's that's one of the things about um, this album that that was really striking is. Is you know he's Elvis. Everybody knows his voice and his sort of quirks, but pulling off the the songs and the the way he he presents them, there's there's a reason that that. Yeah, he he, that, he doesn't sound like he's struggling with any no, of this shit. Like, no. I mean, I, I'd hope after ten records, you'd probably yeah. get to a point where just pro in and out. But I mean, I. There, there is nothing about this album uh, aside from some uh, some lyrical content that <laughs> I find uh, arly offensive or yeah. like there's there's not I would never say actively avoid this record. Yeah. Um, yeah. No. Yeah. So what do what do we think? What do we think in in terms of overall this list? And uh, I enjoy it and I think it's fine and I don't think that that's enough personally for me to put it on any kind of list. Okay. When there could be other more deserving records. I agree. It's not like you had to have filler. There's plenty of good stuff out there. Does yeah. that, is anyone familiar enough with Elvis's catalog to have a favorite Elvis record? Elvis four. I'm sure there. I, I I don't. I don't. Um, no, because most of my my background with Elvis is is the singles, mm-hmm. the hits. So to or his live in mm-hmm. Las Vegas which I am not a fan of that the later Elvis I personally only own one Elvis record and it's the 1959 Elvis Christmas album with like Blue Christmas Yeah I did own and, and I that's one that's one of my favorite Christmas records and I like my Christmas music even if it wasn't a Christmas record even if it even if the songs were just about anything like musically and Vocally, I think I would jam that record more than Elvis's back. I guess what I'm saying is, if I'm going to be listening to your gimmick Christmas record more than a serious record, then maybe that serious record isn't the one that I would put on a yeah. list of must hears. So I was just looking it up. So in 1956, you know, his album came out, but there was another one called Elvis, Elvis Presley, Elvis, and the tracks on it are Rip It Up, Love Me. Uh, for his long t- tall Sally, you know, ready Teddy. So it's a Little Richard record. Yeah, exactly. Well, so was his first one. A little bit. <laughs> yeah. But it seems like that would be a little more deserving. But yeah, I think I think you're right. I mean, if you were to tell someone to listen to an Elvis record, you would probably tell them to listen to a compilation uh, record. This. Maybe this is on here because it's, you know, it's like I like I said previously, I feel like this book tends to elevate the the albums that are almost have a story behind them mm-hmm. or are a concept a record mm-hmm. and not a compilation. And I get the story and it's but, a good yeah. story and it was an impressive comeback. Like he right. himself thought his career was over. Right. When, and and people agreed with him. Like, yep, 
Them's the breaks. Shit luck, you know? <laughs> Again, a thousand and one is so many fucking records. It's true. To have, like, a must at the end of it. You know, I would yeah. I would take away some of the things that we've already listened to and say, yeah, sure, this, why not? Yeah. Uh, but no, I mean, I, I, w- I wouldn't go back out and actively search this record out. Maybe a single. Mm-hmm. Just to show someone, like, oh, yeah, I was talking about chaining this chick up in the basement. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, aside from that, nah, I wouldn't I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't, go out of my way to, to listen to it again. Sounds great, but not not something that was, that'll stick with me. Yeah, I think that's pretty much my yep. sentiment. Yep. Okay. Next time, we will be talking about uh, Miriam Makiba's self-titled album. Thanks, guys. Mm-hmm. Thanks, bud. You said you once love me. But now I guess you've changed your mind You said you once loved me But now I guess you've changed your mind Why don't you reconsider, baby Give yourself just a little more time